If you would please open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 32. We're going to continue uh, walking through different pieces of the Psalter. Um, thinking about how it gives voice to the different stages of our lives. Um, we've looked at uh, how God gives us words to speak when we're in fear. Um, in Psalm 3 and 4, um, how he tells us how to come to him after a, after a long day when we're facing a hard morning. Um, we've looked at what it looks like to lament. Uh, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? Um, why have you left me in my pain? Um, now we're going to look... Um, we're going to look at Psalm 32 and kind of uh, go, go, go at it uh, in another angle. Um, what, what do you say to God when, you, um, when you've sinned in a way that you think to yourself, uh, this, is, this is it, like God's done with me? Um, how do you pray after, after a difficult night, after a difficult day? Um, maybe after a period of time where you've struggled with a sin, how do you deal with that? So uh, listen as I read to you Psalm 32. You'll find it in your bulletin or on your cell phones or in your Bibles. Um, there we go. Psalm 32. Uh, pay careful attention to the reading of God's Word. A maskal of David. This is probably like a liturgical song, like a hymn. A hymn of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Um, I want you to take a second and think about a time when, uh, when you sinned, and you just you just felt like, uh, like I said before, like this is it, like I've I've trust uh, I've gone across a line, um, and that's it. There is no more grace for me. I can remember a time when this happened to me, and uh, this is always tied to um, when I sinned in a way like that. Um, for me, things are very uh, visceral, right? It's tied to a place, to a time. Um, and every time I drive by this certain place, 
I get this sinking feeling uh, in my stomach every time I hear uh, I hear something or I see something or I think about something. I'm just like right back there again, right? Like it's almost like I'm transported in time right back to the time where I felt uh, so hopeless. It's almost like it's almost like I've got a scar and then someone just rips that scar off and like the the wound is exposed again and I and I fall into fear. I don't know if you know what this is like. Um, maybe you've done something you've been found out. Maybe it's a sin you've hidden your whole life. There are a few ways we, uh, we normally use to deal with guilt in our society. The first way I like to call the Frank Sinatra approach, right? Um, this is like, I did it my way. It's like mistakes, I've made a few. Um, but, you know, I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I did it my way. You know, you're kind of look at your guilt and you're like, oh, whatever. Guilt's for the weak. I had to do what I had to do. The other way is uh, is this kind of thought that you can make up for it, right? Um, and kids, this is all throughout like every Disney movie you've ever watched. It's almost all throughout like every movie, every kid's movie. They do something, they think there's no way to come back, but then all of a sudden the person makes like a, a miraculous comeback using their power, and it makes everything right. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I watched a movie called uh, called The Maze Runner. I don't know if you guys have seen The Maze Runner. It's a little bit of an older kid's movie. Um, and it's, this kid, it's about this kid who sends other kids into a maze, and they all die horrible deaths. But then somehow he has his memory wiped, and then he goes into the maze himself, and then leads all the kids out, and it's almost like, it's almost like that makes up for killing all these other people. Like, now he's the hero. It's okay. He doesn't ever have to say, like, I'm sorry. Um, it just makes up for it. There's another way that says I must forgive myself before I can ask for forgiveness. Um, I, have to, I have to feel like I can go ask for forgiveness. I can't carry my guilt to someone else and have them relieve that guilt. I have to do it first. So often what happens is that this is a use this is used to like actually never never ask for forgiveness or actually deal with the guilt because you can't come to face yourself in the mirror when you when you come to grips with what you've actually done. There's another way that says I'm sorry. Um, this is probably the most prevalent view in post-Christian America America, right? This view tries to um, get forgiveness by making people feel bad for you. I'm sorry that I did this. And a lot of times this is coupled with like uh, with words like if or and or but, right? I'm sorry I did this to you, but if you weren't so mean to me, I wouldn't have done it. Right? Which really all you're saying in that point is like, ah, you're really, you're really at fault for what I've done. Um, okay the cover like that one uh, really all you're saying to the other person is like man you're you're uh 
you're 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 mean, and I don't I don't uh, I can't take responsibility for what I've done. Uh, so instead, I'm just going to tell you about my state of being. I'm sorry. The last one, and this is one that's really creeped its head up now, is is uh, is cancel culture, right? It's like if you don't agree with me, if you've hurt me, I'm just cutting you off completely. Zero forgiveness. No way to actually deal with things. See, the problem with all of these approaches is none of them actually deals with sin or guilt. Um, None of these are, are, are um, ways that are put out to actually bring about forgiveness, to relieve people. Um, I wonder if you know what that's like, the relief of being forgiven. Uh, I can remember the first time that I actually uh, had the privilege of standing up and telling people that their sins were forgiven. Um... I remember the first time that happened, and uh, and a man walked up to me afterwards, just weeping, weeping, because he had never understood that he was forgiven. Uh, he felt he was weeping from like the reality that like the, the the weight was lifted off of his back. And what a beautiful thing! So, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about? Um, living in the light of our forgiveness. How do we go to God and ask for forgiveness? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. So first of all, let's look at the power of repentance. Um, Look down in your Bibles, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, this psalm begins with a somewhat surprising note, right? Uh, it talk, talks about the um, the blessed life. I mean, I think that most of us would, if we were writing this psalm, we would start it out uh, with with something like, uh, you know, when you when you have like major transgressions, you're a big loser. Um, you've really failed again. Like we want to make sure people really feel that they've that they've sinned against us, right? Uh, when you sin against me, um, I want to make sure that you you understand it. Um, or we would start it off by saying God gets really mad when we sin. Um, but you notice it doesn't start there. It starts with these sorts of words of celebration, these words of hope, um, the words of absolution, the words of forgiveness, the blessed life. David starts out with this uh, description of the truth. Those who are forgiven are counted as blessed people. People to be envied in a good way. People who are living the good life. Why? Well, when we live under the weight of our guilt, right? when we live under the weight of our sin, um, we know what it feels like. Uh, to walk around, it feels like you're weighed down. It feels like life is difficult. So what would it feel like to no longer live that way? To no longer live under the burden of your guilt? Well, it would be the blessed life. It would be an amazing life. It would be a life lived in the warming sun of Christ's loving gaze. 
It's the blessed life. And notice what David says. He uses three specific words here to talk about our sin. He doesn't just say that they're little sins or really big sins, but I think in using these three words, he means all sin. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Every one of them, when they're repented of, when they're confessed to God, God forgives them. God doesn't hold back the blessed life because you sin. God forgives you. If you confess your sins, God gives you the blessed life fully, wholly, unreservedly. The Father of lights from whom all good gifts come gives this to you from white lies to embezzlement from lust to fornication from anger to murder both internal and external Christ forgives your sins this reminds me of this great um, this great hymn my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It is well with my soul. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. So, the question is, have you confessed? <laughs> Like, have you gone to God? How do you even do that? It's important to note here that the blessed life is not always the easy life. And this doesn't mean that your life is free from suffering, that your life is free from pain, and that you won't ever experience temporal consequences or even residual guilt. Um, David, I think here is reflecting on the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. I mean, David still loses his son in all of that. He still has the residual pain. And yet, even while his pain is very real and he agonizes over it, he's able to say that he's a blessed man. How is that possible? Second point the effects of our guilt. Look down at verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Uh, David lays out this really interesting way to diagnose unrepentant sin. Um, he tells us that his bones are wasting away. Uh, he's groaning all day. He feels like God's hand was pushing down on him. Um, it was heavy on him, and his strength was dried up. Um, I think there are really two ways to think about this. One is the physical effects of guilt. Notice David says that his bones feel like they're, um, like they're aching, like his strength is non-existent. 
David's describing for us the physical effects of guilt. Um, he's in physical pain. He can feel it in his body. Uh, if you've ever sinned, like, in a really big way, um, you know what that feels like. Uh, recently, a guy uh, who I know repented of some pretty egregious uh, sin. And I would not seen the guy in, in probably three or four months. And when I looked at him, you could see the physical toll that it had taken on him the last six months of living with unconfessed sin. I mean, the guy put, had put on probably 25 or 30 pounds. His, his, his muscles were like, they were just gone. He used to be like a strong, strong human being just physically wasted away. Second, he's describing, I think, the more devastating way to, uh, to diagnose uh, the, the effects of guilt, and that's like the psychological effects of guilt. David's groaning all day long. Um, it's like he doesn't even want to get out of bed. Uh he feels like God is pressing down on him. What a terrible place to be. Uh, kids, I can remember one time I was backpacking uh, with my youth group. And uh, we all had to carry all of the stuff that we wanted to use to live for the next three days in a backpack. And our backpacks weighed about 50 pounds. Now, you don't know, like, where you guys really can't understand what 50 pounds is. But looking at you, probably two of you together is about 50 pounds. So it's like you're carrying two of you together on your back all day as you're walking uphill. Um, I can remember one of our kids got hurt. One of the other kids got hurt. And everybody looked at me because I'm kind of a big guy. I don't know if you've been able to notice that or not. But um, I'm kind of a big guy. And everyone was like, here, Joel, you carry his backpack. So I carried this other kid's backpack, I mean, 100 pounds all day long, up a hill. My strength was gone by the end of the day. I was so tired, I didn't want to get up. And you see, this is somewhat like what it feels like to have, to have um, unconfessed sin... When you carry that guilt, it's like a big giant backpack that you just can't carry anymore. And your brain gives up, and your body gives up, and you just want to lay in bed. For some people, this is what starts out their depression. Now, it's not to say, and it's really, really important to say this here, not all depression is linked to sin. There is some depression that comes because our brains just don't, like, they're just broken. Um, there's just something wrong. Um, we feel the effects of sin, but it's not unconfessed sin that leads to it. And yet here, David is describing a, 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 how he's living in depression under his unconfessed sin. And in both of these Right, we hear something really beautiful. Um, we hear something really beautiful. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Jesus was a man who was acquainted with suffering. 
he knew. And yet he did it sinlessly. He paid so that we could come in the midst of our physical and psychological struggles and we could bring our sins to him and he would forgive us. He would forgive us. He suffered having you and me in mind. Um, this morning, I, uh, I was reading a great quote about this, that, that God, God uh, the, the author was meditating on Jeremiah 1. God knew Jeremiah from the womb, and God sanctified him, preparing him to do the ministry that he was called to do all along. You see, Jesus did this knowing that in the midst of your suffering, you would feel like, I can't bring this to you, and you would suffer. And yet he says to you, come and repent. So how do we do this? Verse 3, or I'm sorry, verses 5 through 9, the process of repentance. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when, it may, when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which, much, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Verses 5-9, through nine, David tells us really clearly how we repent. Um, how after a period of time of sinning, how after a period of time where we've done things wrong, we can come to God and ask Him for forgiveness. Um, he says something very, very simple and yet very profound. He says, uncover yourself before God. What an odd thing. Uncover yourself before God. Um, maybe you can identify with this. Uh, especially you kids, when you do something really bad, something you know that you're going to get in trouble for, what's the very first thing you do? You hide, right? Um, you, 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 you run out of the room, you move away, you, don't, you, you try to make excuses. You say, it wasn't me. Like legitimately, I don't know kids if you know this or not, but um, when you're standing there and like you've got cookie crumbs all over your face, and your mom says, where's the cookies? And you're like, I don't know. I didn't eat them. Um, like you're trying to hide. You're holding, you're holding something in your hand, gives it away that you were the person who ate them. The cookie crumbs on your face, give it away. Um, this is the natural way that every human being acts. Straight from the garden, what did Adam and Eve do? They sin. And then they hid. And they covered themselves up. They went from living in like, like a perfect, loving, friendly relationship with God to covering themselves up and hiding because they were afraid of what would happen. David says, if you want to repent, 
then uncover yourself, uncover your sins to God. Don't hide. Don't hide. Don't try and hide your guilt or shame, but bring it to God. This is a conscious decision that you make. I said, I will confess my sins, my transgressions to the Lord. It's like he's saying, I will not hide them. I'll confess them fully. And what's interesting here is that there's no guilt offering. There's no sin offering. There's no period of proving that God puts David through before God forgives David. Notice what happens. He says, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, it's so funny as a dad, so often I want to make sure my kids, like, understand what they've done. Like, they get how much pain they've put me through. Um, I want to make sure that they aren't going to do it again. So what do I do? I put them through this, like, period of proving where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, if you can prove yourself trustworthy, you can have your cell phone back. Um, If you can prove yourself to be, like, actually repentant, then I'll change from being angry with you to being nice to you. You see, that's the way you and I deal it, like with things. That's the currency that we use. It's like we want to make sure that we get our pound of flesh out of the person who's hurt us before we're actually willing to forgive and move on. It's not the way it is with God. Psalm 51 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. This is another one of these penitential psalms where David's confessing his sin. He's like, uh, you, you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You, don't, uh, you will not be pleased with the burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. And Jesus, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 18, where he tells of two servants, one who owes a little bit and one who owes a lot. So much that the master, like he could just never repay it. And what does the master do? He forgives it. He doesn't set him up on a payment plan. Um, he doesn't charge him interest for being unable to pay. He forgives it. And notice there's nothing David does to earn this forgiveness. He does nothing to force God's hand. He simply asks. And God, in response to the broken and contrite heart, to the one that looks and says, I, I, can't, even, I can't even repent, well, God, but please forgive me. God forgives. God forgives. And what I love is that God is so surprising, isn't he? He's nothing like us. In so many ways, he's so much better. He's the good father we all wish that we had. The father who, when we come running home, 
When we come walking home, actually, he comes running to, to meet us. He clothes us in righteousness. And he invites us in. And he throws a feast. You see, there's no pain. There's no testing because Jesus was tested. There's no pain because Jesus paid. So now you can come and you can repent. And you can ask, simply ask. And God will be ready and willing to forgive because it's what he loves to do. It's in his very nature. You see and notice what happens. David says, go, take your sins to God, confess them. And God's position changes from the God who, who is, whose hand is heavy upon David to the one who covers David. To the one who, who becomes David's, like, uh, uh, who surrounds David, who protects him, who delivers him. Verse 9 is one of my favorite comparisons. Uh, look down um, at your bulletins, uh, if you can find it there. Uh, verse 9, he says um, that when we don't confess our, our sins, we're like a stubborn horse or a mule. Uh, I have a brand new puppy. I think I've mentioned to you guys this. I have, I have, a, I have a new dog. He's about 11 months old. And he's a German short hair pointer, which means that he is really, really, really stubborn. Um, he thinks he knows how to rule the world. So last night, I was sitting on the couch with him. Um, we had another friend over with their dog, who's an Australian Shepherd. And the two of them were just wrestling and wrestling all night long. It got to the point where my German short hair and this Australian Shepherd started nipping a little bit too hard and then they started to get in a fight. Two dogs fighting in my living room. So, the owner of the Australian Shepherd scooped him up and put him down. And I scooped up my German short hair and I put him down and you know what my dog did? He started to nip at me. He started to try to bite me to get away. So you know what I did? I held him even tighter. And then he put his paws against me. pushed as hard as he could. So you know what I did? I took his paws and I moved him away. And I held him tighter. And then finally he just sat there panting, panting, panting till he just gave up. And then I let him go. And he went out and played again. You see David saying, when we don't come to God... We have to be curbed. We're like, a, we're like a stubborn dog who just wants to push away what's good for us and do whatever we want. So sometimes God curbs us with a bit and a bridle to help us to understand that confession and repentance is actually the right way of living. Sometimes we suffer because of our sin. Again, this is not saying that all suffering comes from sin or all depression comes from sin. But sometimes we suffer. We suffer physically. Sometimes we suffer emotionally or relationally. And those things are like our Father's loving grasp on us. The book of Hebrews tells us God disciplines those who He loves. 
sometimes God lovingly holds on to us. And we push and we push and we nip and we nip. And we want to get away. And then finally we confess. We say who we are in light of who God is. We ask Him for forgiveness. And then He lets go. And we can go live. In freedom. So what's the outcome of restoration? What's the outcome of repentance? Verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There's two outcomes, sorrow and steadfast love. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, a life lived constantly under the weight of your guilt. Um, you can try all sorts of things to deal with it. You can buy things, you can drink, you can take drugs, you can live a promiscuous lifestyle, you can try to revise your past, you can try to forget about it, you can do all sorts of things. You can even try to make amends through philanthropy. But they won't work. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you'll know who you are. And you'll know what you've done. So what should you do? Well, give yourself to Christ. Romans says that if anyone confesses um, that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart, that He was raised from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's just that simple. You confess. You believe. Would you give up your sorrowful life and no forgiveness? Would you do that? Jesus invites you to. The second outcome is steadfast love. What is steadfast love? Well, it's captured in the cross of Christ. It's captured in the cross of Christ, the steadfast love that forgives your sins no matter how great or how small. Dearest friends, when you confess them, God forgives them because of His steadfast love. Unwavering. Unshaking. Look at the man. Look at the beautiful man who lived and died and was raised again to purchase your forgiveness. Steadfast love. Look at the eyes of the one who suffered so much so that you could be free. Stir deeply into His face and know what it is to live in steadfast love. You see, when you start to do that, when you repent and you feel the relief of your guilt being taken off of you and you look to the One who loves you with this steadfast love, then it causes your heart to rejoice. To rejoice in the steadfast love of God. To shout for joy because God has made you upright in heart. So, I think it's here that we return to the first two verses in light of all that David says. And hear the words again. Blessed 
is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. May God make us into a people who run to Him in repentance and feel the beauty of His steadfast love even in the face of our sin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You so much that You have done this for us. Um, That You were despised and rejected so that we would know acceptance. That You paid the penalty so that we would know what it is to be forgiven. Lord, we thank You for that so much and we pray that You would help us even when we're ashamed, even when we're sad, even when we don't know if You'll love us again. You'd remind us of Your steadfast love so we would come to You in repentance and know what it feels to live the blessed life. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.